What a blessing it is to be here today, literally to be here in service to God. That's what God has called each one of us to, is to be here in service to Him, to bless Him, to honor Him, to worship Him, and to glorify His name. Because if we're here for any other reason but the reason to glorify God and honor God, we're here for the wrong reason, aren't we? We don't belong here if we aren't here to serve God, if we aren't here to worship Him, to praise Him, to glorify His name. And God has made it possible for us to do this. He has made it possible for us to be able to do this, and we can do it with confidence, and we can do it with trust, and we can do it with courage, because His Spirit lives in each one of us. And every one of us know what it is to be a practical Christian, to live a practical Christian life. And if you really want a picture, if you're not sure how to live a practical Christian life, the best place to start is in Ephesians chapter 4. And read from Ephesians chapter 4 to Ephesians chapter 6. That is literally getting into the practical benefits of Christian living and the Christian walk and what God wants us to do on a daily basis. It's a great place for us to start to really understand how practical our Christianity really is. But God loves us so much that He has given us His Word. He has given it to us in written form. He has placed it on the tablet of our heart. He wants us to worship Him. He wants us to praise Him. He wants us to find Him. He wants us to discover His goodness in our life. And as God's children, it is important that we understand the importance of practical living as a believer in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because God did not simply call us to believe the redemptive work of Christ at the cross. If that were the case, after we choose to believe, we could just immediately enter into the gates of heaven, couldn't we? But God has a plan for us. God has things for us to accomplish. And we don't need to go any further in scriptures than Ephesians 2.10 to discover that. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We are His workmanship. And He created us in Christ Jesus that we can do the works that God has prepared for us to do in advance. Before we ever existed, He prepared these works for us. So if God just wanted us to be a believer and then that was the end of it, he would call us home and take us home immediately. There will be no purpose for us here on earth any longer. But God has more planned for us than that. He chose to let his power be manifest in our lives. He wants our, his power to be manifest in our lives so that the world will be able to see the life-changing work that Christ has done in you. Think about that. God wants the world to see the life-changing work that Christ has done in you. So, brothers and sisters, God isn't asking us to sit in a lounge chair. God is not asking us to just live like the world does. God isn't asking us just to knuckle under to whatever the world says. God wants us to stand up. He wants us to stand firm. Stand firm in our faith, in our belief, in our trust, in our confidence in Him. That's what He wants us to do. 
He wants us to complete the work that He's prepared for us. And make no doubt about it today, brothers and sisters, if you are breathing right now, God has work for you. Because if you did not have any work to do, God would take you home because your work on earth is finished. Do you remember what the Apostle Paul said? What did the Apostle Paul say? He said that I long to be in heaven with God. I long that He would take me home to be with Him today. But I know that He still has work for me to do. I know that He is calling me because you still need me. So therefore, though I wish that I could be in the presence of God, not my will, but God's will, I'm going to serve God and I'm going to do it regardless of what I want. I'm going to do it because that's what God has called me to do. And brothers and sisters, that's what God wants from each one of us. He wants us to do what He has called us to do, to accomplish that work in Ephesians 2.10. Because you see, if you're living for Christ, if you're serving God, if you're doing the work that He has called you to do, the world will see Christ in you. The world will see God in you they will see that you are no longer who you once were. They will see that you're no longer the person who went to the bar every week and got drunk and then came home and then did it all again the next day. He'll see, you'll, the world will see that you're no longer the drug user that you once were, that you're no longer the philanderer that you once were, but now you're living a holy and righteous life before God. That's what the world will see when you are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. They will see God's hope in you. And believe me, when they see God's hope in you, they're going to come seeking to you. They're going to come and ask you about that hope that you have. Because that's a hope that the world doesn't have. It's a hope that the world can't see. But yet they see that hope in you and they want to understand that hope. And then you can share God's love with them with gentleness and respect. Let's take a moment and turn our attention to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 13. See, brothers and sisters, God will manifest in all that you do Himself. He will manifest Himself in all that you do because you are His child. You are a child of the Most High God in Jesus Christ. See, God did not leave us alone in this earth when Jesus went back to heaven. When Jesus died at the cross, we remember He died, He was buried, He rose again on the third day. But before He ascended to heaven, what did He promise us? He promised us that He would give us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, our helper, is going to come and He's going to be with us. Christ didn't go to heaven and leave us alone. When we are believers, the Spirit is sealed within us, guaranteeing our inheritance into the kingdom of God. He is the one that we lean on in our times of trouble. He is the one that we lean on when we need strength. He is the one that we turn to when we need courage and comfort. It is the Spirit of God who leads us. Ephesians 1, 13-14 says this, You were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the day of redemption of those who are God's present possession to the praise of His glory. See, 
as believers, we are no longer our own. We belong to God. We are His possession. We belong to Him. We serve Him. We once served the God of this world. Now we serve the King of kings. We serve Him and Him alone. See, when we receive the power of the Holy Spirit in our life, our life is changed. We can accomplish so much if we just simply trust God and trust His Spirit as the Spirit leads our heart and He leads us day by day. The Holy Spirit comes on you with power. And Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And brothers and sisters, we are the witnesses to the ends of the earth. We are. Each one of us sitting here, we are the witnesses of Jesus Christ. We have His Spirit energizing us right now. We have His Spirit guiding us right now. We have His Spirit leading us every day. And all we have to do is trust Him and let Him do the work He wants to do in each one of us. See, brothers and sisters, again, God did not leave us alone. He has given us the Holy Spirit. And He, the Holy Spirit, lives with us as we walk every day in this life and as we do the things that God has called us to do, things that are ordinary, things that are every day. Someone is having trouble getting the groceries out of their cart and into their car, and you walk over and give a helping hand, not knowing whether that helping hand is just a material thing that's gonna help somebody today or if it's gonna be a life-changing thing that gives you and them an opportunity for a conversation that leads them to Jesus Christ as their Lord. In the everyday, ordinary things is where God is living and moving in us to change the world. We just have to trust Him. We have to depend on Him. And He has given us the ability to do these things. He will guide our life. He will guide us. All we have to do is trust and brothers and sisters, <laughs> I'm holding God's Word in this little tiny device. God's Word in this little tiny device. He has made it so possible, no matter where we're at in life today, that we can open up His Word and get it into our hearts. And then as we put the Word of God in our hearts, it begins to transform us. It begins to change us day by day. And not only that, as we have more understanding, because the Spirit is living in us, when we read the Word, we gain understanding, we gain knowledge, and when we're out doing the work of God, the living Word, Jesus Christ, is moving in us. He's moving in us to change the world. To change the world into His likeness. See, because it's not the will of God that anyone should perish. It's the will of God that everyone goes into the kingdom of heaven. God paid the debt for each one of us. The cross is empty because Christ rose from the dead. We serve the living God. He died so you could live. 
And brothers and sisters, not so you can live life on this earth. He died so you can live all eternity. All eternity with peace and satisfaction. And God is going to glorify you. He is going to lift you up. And He is going to praise you. He is going to tell you, Well done, my good and faithful servant, for all that you have accomplished on this earth. And all we have to do is trust Him, depend on Him, and lean on Him. And He has made it possible for us to depend on Him. He has made it possible. And we're going to see a little bit of that today as we go to Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10, we are going to see that we can overcome this world. We can overcome this world because God has given us an armor. God has given us His armor. So verse 10 in Ephesians 6 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Brothers and sisters, we have the ability to put on the armor of God. Putting on the armor of God, what does that mean to us? What does that mean? When we put on the, word, the full armor of God, we are going to be strong in the Lord. We can't even help but to be strong in the Lord. The Apostle Paul here is exhorting us to be strong in the Lord, in the might and power that overcomes the resistance which is the devil and his schemes. See, we, when we put on the armor of God, we have the strength of God living in us, and God is helping us stand firm. We have His inherent strength. And we can be strengthened not only by the person of God we find in Jesus Christ, but also by all of His resources. Think about that. We have the resources of heaven behind us when we're doing the work of God. We have the resources of heaven ready to do battle, brothers and sisters, because God told us in the Bible, Jesus told us, the Apostle Paul taught us that we are in a battle, and it's a spiritual battle. It's a war. And it's important that we have this armor. Think about this. You're a soldier in today's army, and you're going out, and you're in a battle in today's army, and all of a sudden the enemy is coming to attack you while you are in the garrison unit, just relaxing, taking it easy, refreshing yourself so you can go back out to war, and you are being attacked. Are you going to continue to allow the attack to come to you without first putting on your armor as a soldier? It's going to be something second nature to you. You're going to get that armor on so you are protected. And brothers and sisters, the same thing, putting on the armor of God, we are protected. Amen. We are protected from the, the fiery darts of the devil that does come our way. We are fighting a war, and it is a war between heaven and hell. It is a spiritual war. 
When someone in the world is telling you that it's okay to do this and it's okay to do that, and you know that it's not okay to do this and that, that is the devil and his fiery darts being thrown your way. You can choose to believe the devil or you can choose to believe God and stand firm in what the scriptures teach. Stand firm in what God teaches you. And I love in verse 11, the very first few words, it's a Greek imperative to put on the armor of God. Put on His armor. Think about that. He's giving you the choice. I can put on this armor and I can stand or I can leave my armor off and take whatever comes at me. And brothers and sisters, unfortunately, in today's church, all too often, the church is not putting on its armor. We are called. The Apostle Paul is telling us here, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So we know that we can put on the full armor of God. And whose armor is it that we're putting on? It's not your armor. It's not the armor of the United States Army. It is the armor of God. It's God's armor. You can't have better defense than that, than the defense that the Lord has given us with His armor. Amen. So brothers and sisters, we are called to stand against the schemes of the devil. See, just as God manifests His power in you and I through the power of the Holy Spirit, we have to understand that the devil works through his followers as well. The devil is working through his followers as well. Make no mistake about it. You either serve Christ or you serve the devil. There's no in-between. There's no gray area. There's no fence to straddle. If you're straddling the fence, Jesus said that you are lukewarm and he will spew you from his mouth. There is no lukewarm. You're either all in or you're all out. Stand firm. And God has made it possible with his armor. You see, the devil, he does work through his followers and he does it in sneaky and cunning ways. If the devil came as the devil, how many of us would listen to a word he has to say? How many of us would listen to him if he came simply as the devil? And he just had it all laid out there for you to see. But he doesn't. The Bible teaches us he comes as an angel of light. He wants to come and look as if he's light. So he's going to have truth and lie mixed together. He's going to give you a little bit of truth mixed with a lie. Because his goal is to cause chaos and division in the church. He wants to keep the power of the Spirit of God from working in your life. And brothers and sisters, if he can cause you to straddle the fence of life and death, he knows he has you. And see, he mixes the lie with the truth. And his servants serve him well. And we are the servants of the living God. Let us serve our God. 
well. Make no mistake about it. When anyone is preaching what is called the health and wealth gospel, they're preaching a lie straight from the pit of hell. They're mixing truth with lie. Which brought me to something that I remembered this morning to share with you the consequences of listening to the lie. Listening to people like Joel Olstein, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer. Brothers and sisters, you'd be well, well served to leave them alone. Here's an example of one of these preachers telling somebody what they should do. A woman, and I remember the story that I learned of and I heard it over the radio. I can't even remember what her name was when, when her son was telling this story. His mom had breast cancer. And the people of the health and wealth gospel were telling her, have faith in God. You do not need medicine. Trust God. Trust that God will take care of you, that God will bring your healing. And she was trusting and she was having faith. And she wasn't being healed. And she kept doing this. And her family is telling her, please go to the doctor. Please go to the doctor. You need to go get good health care. It wasn't until she had weeping sores that she went to the doctor and it was too late and she died. Now, brothers and sisters, if that's the end of it, that's terrible that someone lost their life. But the other side of the coin is the health and wealth gospel people will tell you, the leaders will tell you, you didn't have enough faith. You didn't trust God enough. But I'll tell you what, the Bible teaches me that as an appointed man wants to die, after that to judgment. And there is not one of us that will not die from our last illness. Not one of us. None of us here will get by in this world without death. We all will face it. We all will see it. But see, here's the thing. Her family doesn't want anything to do with God, doesn't want anything to do with the gospel, and why? Because a little bit of truth and a little bit of lie were mixed together. And they were deceived. His mom was deceived. She died. Now, where's the trust? These pastors are trampling the name of Jesus Christ. They're trampling the name of Jesus Christ. I challenge you, stand firm. Anybody who's telling you they're reading one of their books, they're preaching one of their messages, or they're listening to one of their messages, encourage them to stop. Let them know that that's not the message of Jesus Christ. The message of Jesus Christ is far from health and wealth. Because all we have to do is listen to the words of Jesus. As Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. He promised that to every person who lives that we will have trouble, but he said, take heart, I have overcome the world. Though we will have trouble in this world, we can take heart knowing that Christ has overcome the world. But brothers and sisters, where are we refined? Where are we refined as believers? Isn't it through the fire of trouble? Isn't it through the fire of difficulty? Isn't it through the difficult times and trials and tribulation that we face in life that the refining fire of God is working in us and shaping us and changing us and making us more like Him? 
Jesus had trouble. Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was nailed to the cross. And he said, are you my servants? Are you better than me? That you shouldn't experience trial and trouble in this world. Tell me how the health and wealth gospel lines up to that. It doesn't. It's a false gospel. It's a false gospel. Another example, I can't help but to mention it because it's so prevalent in our world today, is that it's okay for a man to marry a man and a woman to marry a woman. How is that? The scriptures clearly teach that marriage is between one man and one woman. You don't have to go any further than Genesis chapter 3. You don't have to go any further than that to see that marriage is between one man and one woman. And I have never seen a human being being procreated with two men involved with each other or two women involved with each other. The only way we procreate is when man and woman are united. That's God's direction. That's God's way. And when we as men in a church will say, you know what, so we do not lose members of our congregation, let's not preach that, let's not teach that. Let's go ahead and change our laws to this okay now that we can marry woman to woman or man to man. Brothers and sisters, really? How can we be so blinded as believers to think that that's okay? It's because we're not getting into the Word of God. It's because we're not standing firm on the Word of God. And I could go on and on. We could talk about the legalization of marijuana. Let's talk about that. And God tells us not to do anything that causes our minds to be altered. Yet, we'll go ahead and do it. You know what? It's for... It's so we can get healthy. It's because I have this ailment or that ailment. I guarantee you that 99% of the people who use marijuana are using it for one reason only. They're using it because they want to get high. And that is sorcery. That is sorcery. We do not use that word too much these days. But getting high, altering your mind, is sorcery. And what does God have to say about sorcery? I think he has a lot to say about it. But we can stand firm because we have the Word of God living in us. We have the life of God living in us. We have the purpose of God living in us. We have the hope of Christ living in us. Stand firm. No matter what the cost on this earth is to you, stand firm. If it costs you your life, stand firm. Because man can take your life, but he can't take your soul. Do we want to trade our soul to please a man? And brothers and sisters, I preach to an audience of one. I preach to an audience of one. There's only one that I care to please, and that's Jesus, the Father and the Holy Spirit, my God. God is the only one I care to please. I'm not here to please anybody in this room today. I'm here to please God. 
And brothers and sisters, when you are sharing your faith with the world, there's only one that you should care to please, and that is God. Because is your friend the one who's going to judge you in the last day? Or is it God that's going to judge you in the last day? God is the only one that you care to please when you are a believer. Did Jesus back down from the Sadducees and the Pharisees? Did he back down when they told him you should not heal on the Sabbath? When let's get real, the whole reason that they were complaining about that is their position as leaders in the church, they felt threatened and that they were going to lose their earthly position. They weren't even thinking about their heavenly position. We should be more concerned about our heavenly position with God than we are our personal position. So yes, God has given us His armor so we can stand as the fiery darts of hell are being shot at us. We can stand. He's not asking us to advance. He's asking us to be in a defensive mode of standing firm. Don't give an inch of your ground, but stand firm knowing that Christ lives in you. He lives in you. So no matter what the world says, no matter what the devil tries to work out to make your life impossible, you can always depend on God. You can trust Him. You can lean on Him knowing that He will provide a way where there is no way. It is in Him and Him alone that we find our shelter. Only in God can you find shelter. Only in God can you find real peace. Brothers and sisters, how can someone come to Christ if they don't understand that they're a sinner first? And yet, I've only been on the pulpit for maybe three years now, and I've already been told that I don't need to preach the gospel every week. Now you tell me, please tell me, why am I up here other than to preach the gospel message of Jesus Christ? To preach Christ and Christ crucified. That's what every one of us are called to do. And I've been told that I should not preach the message of the cross every week. How can I not do that? How can you not do that? How can you not preach Christ crucified every opportunity you get? Because you see, there is no other message that is more vital in our hearts than the message of the cross. And make no mistake, the message of the cross isn't just for the unbeliever. The believer needs to hear the message of the cross. Amen. Continually need to hear the message of the cross. We need to be reminded the message of the cross, that Christ went to the cross. He died. He paid your sin debt in full. Everyone is a sinner. If we do not understand that we are a sinner, we can't come to the cross. So the first part of the message has to be, you are a sinner. You are lost without God. If you've done one thing wrong in your entire life, you're going to hell. Period. 
You're going to hell if you've done one thing wrong in your life and you don't have Christ in your life. He knew that you were incapable, not that you could, you were totally incapable of paying your sin debt in full. He knew that. So God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, fully man and fully God, to the cross to die for you and me. His blood, His shed blood, paid our sin debt. But it doesn't stop there. Because if all Jesus did was die, and that was the end of the story, we do not have salvation. But we serve the risen King, Jesus Christ. He rose on the third day. He is alive. We serve the living God. He has conquered death once for all. So sinner, you are set free through the blood of Jesus Christ. How can I not share that message? How can I be remiss and not share that message? How can we tell somebody they need Jesus before we tell them why they need Jesus? What good would it do us to put the armor of God on if God didn't tell us why we were putting the armor on? Verse 11 not only tells us to put the armor on, but it also tells us why we are putting the armor on so we can stand against the devil's schemes. What a blessing it is to serve God. God has called us to be all in. God has called us to keep ourselves completely within His will and His purpose for our life. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 teach us this. For by grace, which is God's, unmerited favor, God's favor that we do not deserve. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And get this, the faith that you are saved by is the faith that God gives you. God gives us the faith that we need to be saved. He gives every one of us a portion of faith. What we do with that is our choice. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. See, we can never take any credit for our salvation. We can't take credit for our faith. We can't take credit for the grace of God. All we can take credit for is the sin that we have in our life. It is God who transforms us into His likeness. It is God who changes us into His likeness. It's not anything that we can do. It tells us right there in Ephesians 2.9, not by works. Not by works. And why is that? Because we will never be able to stand before God and say, look at all the great things I did, God. Look at all the good preaching I did, Lord. Look at all the good friends that I led to you, Lord. No. It's because Christ, working through you, that you did all those things. He gets the glory, not you. He gets it. But you see... We can't go with the list of things. So we can't brag to God. All we can do is say, at His mercy, Lord, thank you for all that you have done for me. Thank you for all that you have done for me. You have given me your best. You have given me the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, you went to the cross and died for me. And then we know the purpose is in Ephesians 2.10 that we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. 
So, brothers and sisters, there's the gospel message in three verses. In three verses, you have the gospel message. Any one of us can go out and talk to our friends and share the gospel message if we put those three verses in our heart. Those three verses. You can change the world one person at a time. Those three verses. Ephesians, or I'm sorry, John 3, 16 to 18 is another three verses that we can use. What time do we normally stop here? So I need to wrap up. I apologize, I ran over a little bit. (laughs) Well, brothers and sisters, there is so much in these few verses here. I encourage you this week just to spend some time. Spend some time in Ephesians chapter 6 from 10 to the end of the chapter. Read it over and over again. Put it in your heart. Ponder those verses before the Lord. Ponder the nuances of the word like we just did with put on. That it's your choice. You put on. You choose to put on the what? The full armor of God. You choose to put it on. But it's God's armor that you're putting on. And you're doing it. Why? Why? You're doing it to fight the devil and the fiery darts of hell. All verse 11 We didn't even get much further than that today, but there is so much more to share here. I could go on for another hour probably. There is so much depth in these words. And the reason there's so much depth is this is God's word, His word, His armor, His life being lived out through you, the believer. So go, make disciples. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, let us pray.